You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. For the, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Daniel. I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church, and I get the privilege this morning of, of sharing the word. So I am super excited for that. Um, hope that you guys are having a great Fourth of July weekend, uh, that you're enjoying that with your family, with your friends. And I absolutely love the summer. I love the, now that I, you know, I've been on the Eastern Shore for a year now, so now I get to experience boating for like the first time. So that's a whole lot of fun. Uh, barbecues and swimming, the beach, summer is just the best. Who agrees with that? Come on, yeah. So this morning we're going to be starting a new series Uh, And last week we finished part one of our study in the book of Mark called The Arrival. And uh, if you missed any of the sermons, feel free. You can go to our website, epeason.com, and uh, you can check out any of the sermons that you might have missed there. Uh, so, So you can do that. We also have a podcast, subscribe, all that fun stuff. So you stay in the loop. But like I said, this morning we're starting a new series in the book of Psalms, and it's called Songs of Summer. Okay, And the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 songs okay, written by a few different people. But these songs, they have a huge range of emotion. Okay, If the songs were just like the same thing over and over again, that would be pretty boring. But the thing I love about the Psalms is that you see there are songs that, that you'll read that are sad and they're mournful. There are songs that you're going to read that are happy and joyous. There are, other, there are other songs that are angry and vengeful. Songs that praise God for his wondrous works and songs that ask God, where are you? Right, songs are powerful. Songs make things stick. Okay, We can remember, like you may not remember everything that I say this morning, but you'll remember a song that you heard in the 80s and you're like, yeah, I still know every word to that. Because songs are sticky. They have the power to convey messages that words simply can't convey on their own. Right? They have the power to bring people together. And as we celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day, right, we're going to be hearing our national anthem. We're going to be hearing America songs, right? God bless the USA and all that stuff. Right? There are these songs that bring people together. And I even think of, of countries who have written anthems so that their people could sing together with united voice. Songs are powerful. They make people come together. But here's, this, here's the thing. Songs can also divide. The same way that music can convey good messages, songs can also convey bad. We can also get caught up in the music that, that we like and think that what that person listens to is not music. Has anyone ever said that to you before? Like, that's not music. What are you listening to? You should listen to this, right? So we see some of the separation and division there. And let me tell you, there's nothing more hurtful than singing a song, a karaoke, that no one knows or likes. Right? When you're like, oh, everyone's going to know this one. And then you're singing and everyone's just like, it's the worst. But if only music was the one thing people disagreed over. huh? If only this were the extent to our disagreements. 
But it seems nowadays that everywhere you look on social media, the news, the radio, even movies and TV, there is division. The spirit of this world is trying to teach us that if we disagree, then I get to push you away. If we disagree, then I get to disrespect you. And the warning for us, church, is that this same mindset is trying to seep its way into the church. The spirit of this world and this age is trying to promote disunity and it will try to come into the church. And there will be the temptation to follow that because it's almost like our natural inclination. There will be the temptation to listen to that little voice that says, hey, you don't need to forgive them. They don't deserve it. Or you push them away. Like, you know, do you really think that you need people? You don't need anyone. You know, just stop going to their community group. It's okay. You know what? Just stop going to the second gathering. Just start going to the first one. You know what? Just, just stop going to church altogether. You know what you can do? You can listen to church online and not have to deal with anyone. The spirit of this age wants to isolate us, wants to isolate you, and wants to bring division, wants to divide. But church, God's word says otherwise. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. In Psalm 133, you could turn there in your Bibles this morning. In Psalm 133, David writes a short song. It's only three verses. Okay, three like sentences, not three verses, like great is thy faithfulness. Three small verses that confronts the message that this world is promoting. This is a song, let me tell you, that you want to be playing in the locker room at halftime to get your team prepped. This is the song that you want to be playing before your men head into battle. This song reminds you and me that we need each other. Church, this song, it sounds like team spirit. Are you ready? Let's read the song together. Starting in verse 1. A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there... The Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this is the word of the Lord that we will be reading today. And the message is clear and simple. It is good and it is pleasant when we dwell together in unity. Let's take a look at the first line. Something that we do here at East Point when we go through, the, when we go through a passage of scripture, we like to go line by line. And just see what the author's talking about. And especially in this psalm, how many of you, when you were reading that, you were like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Right? Yeah. So this is going to be a fun morning. So we're going we're gonna to dig into that. So let's start with the first line here, okay? So first it says that this is a song of ascents of David. Okay, so David, King David, is the one who is writing this. And he was one of the most popular kings in, in Israel's history. Right? We heard, you, see, you hear a lot of stories about King David. David and Goliath, 
It's the same guy, the shepherd boy, okay, who is now a king. He is the one that's writing this song. And the next thing that we, that we understand about this song is that it's a song of ascents. Now, what is that? How many of you have ever been on a road trip before? Yeah? I thought more people would have gone on road trips. All right, even if you're like driving down to the beach, but how many of you, what is your vacation playlist? Do you have a vacation playlist or like a summer playlist? Something that you listen to that just gets you in the mood for vacation. All right? I know you guys are are saying like, no, I don't have one. But I know that you do, okay? So the Song of Ascents was that. It was a playlist, if you will. It was a playlist that the people of God would sing during their pilgrimage to Israel, to Jerusalem. Now back then, they did not have cars, okay? They did not have Bluetooth speakers. They did not have the little TVs on the back of your seat that you can, you know, watch, that your kids can watch, and they'll be quiet the whole drive, okay? They didn't have any of that. But what they would do, they would travel together as like this big caravan, them, their families, this like massive massive clan of people, and they would journey to Jerusalem to worship God. And throughout the journey, they would sing songs as a way to focus their hearts and their minds on God. These songs were called songs of ascent because they would travel up God's holy mountain, which is Jerusalem, to the temple. And not only did they physically ascend, but so would their praise. Song of ascents. So David begins, Behold, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. To dwell in unity literally means to live or to remain together in community. Okay, so does that mean that we should sell everything and live in this big compound together as the people of God? No, okay, that's not what that means here. But unity is when God's people actively and regularly come together for a common purpose. Here, David is referring to God's people coming together to praise God together. And I want you to picture this for a moment. Just picture thousands of people ascending the mountain to the temple in Jerusalem, and they're singing this song. Okay? Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I made that up. That's not actually how it sounded, okay? But just picture it. Picture thousands of people who are traveling up the mountain to the temple in Jerusalem and they're declaring this song together. And they're looking their brothers in the eye. I'm like, yeah, I remember you from last year. I remember seeing you before. Yeah, like how good and pleasant it is, right, that we're coming together in unity. Despite what family they belong to, whether, despite their social status, whether they were slave or free, they dwelled together in unity. Man, what a picture. What a picture. In God, he uses the temple as a place where his people could come and worship together. This was this thing that brought them together. And it's kind of like how we gather together on a weekly basis. The people of God, us, we come from our different backgrounds, from our different families, from our different communities, schools, etc. And we come together to honor and glorify God through the songs that we sing. Right through, through this, through, through the teaching of God's word. 
through communion, which we'll be taking together later, through serving with one another. By taking time to even just say hi to the person next to you. Inviting somebody over to dinner. Right? We are worshiping God as a community. And because, because we do this, because our relationship to Christ unites us together. That's the common denominator, is our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we dwell in unity, David says, it is good and pleasant. Now, the word good, when I hear that, I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 1. When God creates the heavens, he creates the earth, and he creates everything in it. And my question here is, what does God say at the end of every single day? It is what? It is good. Day one finishes up. This is good. Day two, it is good. Day three, it is good. Day four, it is good. Day five, this is good. Day six, this is good. Another way that we can read that is, this is how it is supposed to be. When God is saying this is good, he's saying this is how it's meant to be. So let's read verse 1 again. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When we dwell in unity, this is how it's supposed to be. This is the design for God's people, that we dwell in unity. And we do this because unity, church, unity is a God thing. The New Testament is filled with verses on believers dwelling in unity together. All right, so if you doubt me on this, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Philippians 2.2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And lastly, Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could spend all morning going through verses in the Bible that talk about unity. So why does the Bible have so much instruction on unity? And I could think of two reasons. The first is that unity is not something that's natural to us. No matter how good we may think that we are, deep down, at our very core, we are very selfish. We have desires that supersede the wants and needs of others. And the second thing 
is that there is someone who wants nothing more than to bring division and disunity to God's people. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us who this is. And Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible warns us to be on guard because if the devil can get us to focus on ourselves instead of God and instead of others, then our unity will be in jeopardy. Unity is a God thing. It's important to him and he instructs instructs us how to live in that unity. And my question this morning is, as we read those verses, as we went through all the list of, of verses that talked about unity and how to live in unity, what stands out to you? What stands out? What are some ways this morning that you can, that you can pray and ask God, God, I need your help to live in unity with, with my brothers and sisters. God, I need your help in this way. Do you need to be more encouraging? Do you need to work at being a peacemaker, not a peace faker? That's something that I had to learn. All conflict is not bad, okay? Sometimes conflict is necessary. There's healthy conflict that can be done in love. A peace faker is somebody who runs away from restoring unity. It's like, oh, I just, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, so I'm just, I'm not going to deal with it at all. That's peace faking. A peacemaker knows what's at stake. It's the unity. Do you need to work at being a peacemaker? Do you need to be more loving, sympathetic, and compassionate? Do you need God's help in bringing restoration and forgiveness into a situation? Whatever the struggle is, church, and we all have a struggle, okay? We all do. Whatever the struggle is, can we make this a matter of prayer together? Can we vow that we love and we value unity here, that we will pray, God, Point out to me what in my life needs to change for there to be unity. And the good thing, the good thing, church, is that God, he desires, when we ask him, he wants to give us strength and grace to live in unity with others. So we know that unity is good and pleasant when we dwell. We know that that it is good and pleasant when we dwell in unity But David has a little bit more that he wants to say. How many of you know that this would be a pretty lame song if it was just one line, right? It's not hitting the top charts, okay? This is going to be passe in a week, okay? Or even less than that. But when you want to convince somebody of something, what do you do? You give examples and you give analogies, all right? If I want to convince you of something, I'm going to help you understand, okay, I'm saying this, and here's a, here's a picture for you. Here, th- this is how good it is. And this is what David is doing. He's saying, it is good and pleasant, and here's my reasoning why. It is like oil, and it is like dew. All right. God bless you. You can go home. That's all you needed to know. See, a, a Jew who, is, who grew up in... Uh, who grew up reading the word and stuff like that, or just even in that culture and in that time, when they would have read that, those words, they would understand exactly what David was talking about. But for us, 
They're just like, oh, I don't get how it's like oil or dew, but I'm just going to take him at his word and say it's good and pleasant, okay? But we're going to do a little bit more digging here. All right, so, so track with me. We're going to go into verse 2, the oil. So unity is like this. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. All right, so what in the world are we talking about here? First off, okay, that is way too much beard oil, Aaron. Way too much. If this is getting onto your clothes, like, you seriously have a problem. Your beard's not that good. And also, like, we just bought you that shirt. We just bought you that. Now there's an oil stain there. Good luck getting that one out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What is this guy? What is he doing? Okay, we're not dealing with beard oil here, okay? We're not dealing with essential oils. We're not dealing with cooking oil, avocado oil, olive oil, all the oils. Okay, we're not dealing with that kind of oil here. So, again, if you were a Jew, you would understand who Aaron was and why the oil was so precious. So let's first talk about Aaron. Who's this guy Aaron? Who's mystery man Aaron? Aaron was the very first high priest of Israel. He was the very first high priest of the nation of Israel, and his sons were the priests. And you could read more about this in the book of Exodus, where God delivers his people from the Egyptians, from 400 years of slavery. And now that they are free, God gives guidelines for the Israelites on how to live life and also how to worship God. And one of those ways was the institution of the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell and also the institution of priests. And the priests, they would perform rituals and sacrifices for the people. That was their job. And one of the things that is used by the priests is anointing oil. The precious oil that is being poured onto Aaron's head is the holy anointing oil. And this oil was used to consecrate kings, to consecrate priests, and anything that was to be used in the tabernacle or the temple. And one of the properties of this oil was its sweet aroma. And this is one of the points David is making. Unity is like that sweet aroma to God. It's like that oil that gives off this beautiful scent. You know, when I was eight or nine years old, one day I discovered something that I had never experienced before. Body odor. (laughs) And I realized that if body odor wasn't taken care of, people didn't want to hang out with me anymore. We'd be playing together, and then they'd slowly, like, back away and be like, I don't want to be with that guy anymore. But then my parents introduced me to something that would change my life forever, and it was deodorant. And I noticed that deodorant helped this body odor disappear, and then my friends returned, and it restored that unity with my friends. All right, I'm exaggerating here, but you get my point. All right, unity, it gives off that sweet aroma that is pleasing to God, and it's pleasing to others. Another thing about oil that you'll notice here is that the oil doesn't stay in one spot. It doesn't start on the head and then stays there, but it moves, runs down his beard all the way down to his clothes. And if you're a cook, 
and you use oil, you know that oil does not simply stay in the pan, right? All right, as soon as you heat up that pan, toss in the oil, toss in the piece of chicken, what happens? Oil goes everywhere. So invest in a splatter screen to keep the oil off the floors, okay? Oil, right, unity is like that oil that doesn't stay in one spot. And unity is not, supposed, is not meant to be among a small group, but it spreads. Unity is not just, here's my group. There's, you could be united with your group, and I could be united with my group. No, unity is more than that. It spreads. So we, so we know that it's a sweet aroma and that it spreads, but I think something deeper is being said here. If we simply look at the properties of oil, we miss out on something. And what we're seeing here, what David is describing, is a beautiful ceremonial act that was performed in Exodus. This is Aaron being anointed as high priest. The anointing oil, like I said, it was strictly used to anoint kings. So David was even anointed with this oil. It was used to anoint kings, to anoint priests, and to anoint the things that were to be used in the tabernacle or temple. And God instructed this to be so because when someone or something was anointed with this oil, it was like a seal or a stamp. So when somebody had that oil on them, it was like a seal or a stamp. And the stamp meant that this is to be used for God's purposes. This thing or person is set apart for God. It is holy. Unity sets God's people apart from the world. You see, in the Old Testament, God had, has a standard for his people that distinguished them from the other nations. That's why he had guidelines for them to live by and ways to worship God. But even take the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, for example. This, the act of people coming together from all parts of the country, all parts of the world to worship God in one place was one way that God's people were set apart from the other nations. And the same is true today. As we meet regularly at the YMCA on Sundays and during the week in each other's homes, we are practicing what distinguishes us from the world. And here's the thing. We may not always agree. We may not come from the same community or schools or cultures or backgrounds. We may step on each other's toes. And the closer that you get to someone, it's a little bit easier to step on each other's toes, right? We may enjoy different things, but what sets us apart from what the world has to offer is our unity and faith in Jesus. And when our faith and unity is in Christ, this is how we act as a community. We practice forgiveness. We practice patience, love, compassion, hospitality, and restoration towards one another. You see, the world's view of unity is if you and I believe the same about everything, then we are good. But the moment you cross me or the moment you disagree, you're out of my circle. I'm just going to find people who believe the same as I do. That's the world's unity. But here in God's family, we don't do that. 
We don't just turn our backs on each other, but we aim for restoration. We, we are patient and forgiving of one another, giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes people just have a bad day. This unity. And here's the thing. The unity that we practice, it's meant to be a light to others. Being set apart doesn't mean we're special members of a club. I'm in this club, you're not. But it means that God wants to use us for his purposes. And what are God's purposes? To see people come to know him. To see people saved. That is God's heart. That is God's desire. He wants to use the church to shine a light in the dark places. See, our God, he cares about unity so much that he created this place where people could dwell together in unity. In the Old Testament, it's the tabernacle in the the temple. But in the New Testament, God sends Jesus. Jesus? Well, that's, that's not a place. Aaron, you see, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. And Jesus was the last. And he remains high priest to this day. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 15 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, who is the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. So this is what this means for us. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the mediator representing God before man and man before God. Today, we don't need to go through a man to talk to God. We don't need to go to a man to ask God to forgive us. But we get to go through Jesus who is our mediator. And he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows that what we are going through. And I thank God for that. I thank God that he sent Jesus because Jesus understands he went through what we went through. He knows and he sympathizes with us. He is our great high priest. But not only that, 1 Peter 2.5 says this, about us, the church, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So in the Old Testament, right, there was only one place where God's presence rested. It was in one place. But now, because of what Jesus has done, it no longer rests in one place. But it, it, God His spirit dwells in us, in the believer. So we get to be a part of the priesthood. We get to join Christ in his priesthood like Aaron's sons did with Aaron. As believers, we're carriers of the presence of God. God sent his spirit to dwell in us so that we would dwell in unity with the Father. And we can go directly to the Father to ask for forgiveness of sins. We can worship God anywhere. We don't need a special building. We're meeting in the gym of a YMCA. 
Because the church is not a building. The church is a people. God gave us Jesus, our high priest, to bring unity to the world. Unity is a God thing, and unity sets God's people apart from the world. David has one more example for what unity is like. Right? And it's like dew. D-E-W. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Who's this Hermon, you may ask? Hermon is a mountain, okay? Hermon was the tallest mountain in Israel, now Syria, reaching 9,000 feet above sea level. And because of its height, it received a lot of precipitation, and this would benefit the surrounding areas of the mountain. And you see, you can see all the snowscapes there, okay? I even, like, went to look at it up on the internet, and uh, people ski on this mountain now and stuff. So if you're ever traveling to Syria and you want a nice place to vacation, go check out uh, Mount Hermon, okay? Snow caps would form on its peaks, but as the temperatures would increase, the snow caps would begin to melt. And the water would feed springs at the base of the mountain, which would feed rivers like the Jordan River. The water and dew from Mount Hermon nourished a lot of the vegetation in the surrounding areas. And during the summer, drought would have threatened the crops of the land. But because of the evening dew, it would refresh and it would nourish. It would bring it to life. You see, dew was considered a blessing in the Bible. It was a blessing to those farmers who could count, who could, may not always be able to count on rain, but they could count on the dew. This Mount Zion that we're talking about, which falls on the mountains of Zion, this is talking about Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was 120 miles south of this mountain, but it was still blessed and nourished by the dew. The dew extended that far. You see, unity, and now let's try to wrap. It, it could be a little bit difficult to wrap our minds around this because we're fortunate to have a lot of other systems in place besides do to keep things alive, right? Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, and this is like first world problems right here, but sometimes do annoys me because when I take my dogs out in the morning and there's dew on the grass and they come inside, their paws are all wet and I got to wipe them down before they go upstairs. It's like, you know, but anyways, but I want you to think with me for a second. Have you ever been in a position where you were so dry and dehydrated? And now what was it like after you took that first sip of water? And maybe you weren't dehydrated, but just very, even just very dry. And like, oh, I need something to drink. What was it like when you first, when water first touched your lips and first, <laughs> and you had that first sip of water? It was refreshing, wasn't it? I remember as a kid, there was this commercial on TV. It was an iced tea commercial. And it was always like the most refreshing thing to watch because they would show in this commercial like somebody who was just working out or somebody who was doing work outside and they were like all sweaty from the hot sun beating down on them. And then it was just, and then they would grab this bottle of iced tea 
and then they popped it open, took a drink. It was like refreshing. Right? And that, that, that's the sound you make when you're refreshed. And not only that, not only was the iced tea so refreshing, it was so refreshing that a pool magically opened behind that person where they would just collapse and fall into the pool. And I was like, man, I wish I could have that. Like when it's 90-some degrees here, I'm like, I wish that there was just like a magical pool that would open up when it's like way too hot, okay? But here is the, here's the big idea that we're talking about uh, from this point, okay, is that the point David is making is that dew nourishes and refreshes to keep things alive. So when brothers dwell in unity, it is life-giving. Unity is life-giving. What we are doing right now as a community, just by practicing gathering together, that is life-giving Getting together for Bible studies is life-giving. Serving together is life-giving. Praying together is life-giving. And that's why the enemy wants to bring division. Have you ever had a conflict with someone near to you? You know, for myself, I could think of a few situations where there's been conflict that needed to be addressed. And, man, like I said earlier, I, I do, I'm, do not like conflict a whole lot. To the point, like, it makes me sick. Does anyone else get, like, sick to their stomach when you're like, I have to have a big conversation and, like, I got to, like, prep. I need a week to prep myself for this, okay? Um, so there's two ways that we could address conflict. The first is that you don't. You stuff it down. You let it fester to where the wedge between you and that individual grows bigger and bigger. But the second way is that you go to your brother and sister in love in love and you talk about it and when you work things out and that unity is restored it's refreshing it's restored when there's disunity we are so focused on ourselves and our problems that it hinders our growth and it hinders life but when we are when we are good Church, when we are good, we can be focused on what really matters. That we are growing together in our faith. That we are reaching the world for Jesus. And again, where does this hit home for you today? Do you view your brother and sister as life-giving or life-draining? Do you believe that you can simply grow on your own? Or do you understand the value of needing each other? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, let's not neglect meeting together. Let's not neglect stirring up one another in love and good works. Let's not neglect encouraging one another because we need each other to get through this life. Unity is so precious in God's sight. And the last thing we see here is that unity was bought with a price. Let's talk about the cost of unity. The very last line of of our song says this, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing which is life evermore. 
You know, and when you first read this, when you read for there, you would think that the there that David is referring to is talking about unity. Right, that would make sense. We're talking about unity. For there, unity, the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. That, that sounds good. We just talked about how unity is life-giving, so that would make sense. But let's read all of verse 3 together. Unity is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the mountain, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. You see, the mountains of Zion was God's mountain. Jerusalem. And on this mountain, God's presence rested. And during Moses and Aaron's time, God's presence would move with the Israelites. Right? As they were seeking the promised land, as they were traveling in the wilderness, when they would set up camp, they would have to set up the tabernacle and all those things. God's presence would rest it. They kept on moving. God's presence would go with them. And then after when they set up camp again, God's presence rested. Years later, when Israel finally becomes established in Jerusalem, there King Solomon builds the temple. And this temple would, it was like, this is it. This is like a permanent spot here. And God's presence rested there. It's there on this holy mountain that God would bless his people You see, and as people looked to the mountain, this was a sign of salvation because God dwelled there with his people and there God commanded his blessing, life forevermore. Okay, great, thank you. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us today? How do we apply this mountain to our lives? Do we need to go to the temple to experience life forevermore? Here's the cool thing about about this is that when David was writing this song, he didn't know what was to come. He didn't know this part yet, but God would send the ultimate blessing to this mountain, his son, Jesus. It was there on Mount Zion where Jesus was accused and convicted. It was there on Mount Zion where Jesus was beaten and flogged. It was on the streets of Jerusalem that Jesus carried his cross that he would be nailed to. It was there. That was the cost of unity. And Jesus did that. He died to bring restoration to humanity. Not only to the Jews, but to everyone. Thank God. Thank you, Lord, for that. You see, in our sin, it put a wedge between us and God. Our sin broke that relationship that we had with the Father. And we needed someone to come and pay the ultimate price to restore what had been broken. And that's what Jesus did. He gave his life so that we could have unity with the Father. That's how important unity is to God. He gave his son and his son gave his life that we would have life ever, forevermore. So this mountain, it's a picture for us even of like this is where the greatest sacrifice happened. Because of Jesus' life, we have life forevermore. And as our relationship with with the Father was restored, we were brought into unity with each other. 
God did not just save me, Daniel. I was like, cool, see you in heaven. No, but he restored me and brought me into his family. And the same with you. When he saved you, he brought you into his family. Unity, church, is God's gift to his people. As we read through this song, what we're seeing over and over again is the message of unity is a blessing. Unity is good and pleasant. It's this sweet aroma. It sets us apart from the world. It's, it's, it's holy. Unity is life-giving. And unity was so important to God that he get, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the price to restore that unity. Unity is God's gift to his people. And as we close this morning, I want to ask us this question because we're going to be taking communion together. That's how we're going to close, which is another picture of dwelling together in unity because we remind each other that God is coming back for us, that Jesus is coming back for us. We're reminding each other of Christ's sacrifice when we take communion together. And as we close today, I want us to reflect What are we doing to take care of this gift? What are you doing to take care of this gift? If unity is a gift, what are we doing to take care of it? I read this quote in my studies, and the author said, God is the creator of unity. We simply maintain it. So as we come to the table, as we take this family meal that we participate in, can we think on those things? Can you make this a matter of prayer this morning? Lord, what is it in my heart that needs to change? Maybe for you this morning. Maybe it's, hey, I I need to forgive somebody who's hurt me. Maybe Maybe for you this morning, it's, Lord, I need to ask for forgiveness. I know I've done something that hurts someone, and I need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe for you, you're like, God, help me to be more encouraging. Help me, not always need, help me to not always find the need to correct someone or to do this, do that, but help me to be more encouraging. God, help me to be more patient. God, help me to do this. And we do this, church, because we know, like we talked about earlier, that there is the devil who wants to separate us and to isolate us. But as a church, we are vowing together to fight for that unity, to maintain that unity. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, Lord, you care about unity so much, God. That even while we were sinners, God, even even though, Lord Jesus, we were deserving uh, of death, you were gracious towards us. And you sent your son, Jesus. So, God, as we reflect this morning, as we reflect and we take this communion together. God, would you just bring even to our memory right now, Lord Jesus, would you point out those things? Maybe that need changing. And if for those of you even who are, who are like, oh, you know what, this, this sounds amazing. I want to be a part of this family. Like I said, this is not a special club that only a certain amount of people get to be in, but God invites all to be in his family. We just need to follow him. We need to turn from the ways of the world and turn to him. And if you want more information or, or prayer for that, you can come talk to me 
one of our other pastors here or someone that you came with. So guys, we thank you in your name we pray. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.